Okay, good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Jet Blast podcast. We've got a pretty cool guest tonight. Um, that's, he's into old hot rods, airplanes, and all the fun things. Um, so we're real happy to have Rick with us, but I'll let Lee introduce him in just a minute. Um, we've been getting some great feedback from you guys, and, and some of you have been participating in some of the charitable comfort, um, contribution links we've been posting, and we really appreciate that. So I got some feedback just today. As a matter of fact, I haven't shared even with Lee or Andy that um, the Aviation Family Fund had received some donations, um, same people saying they'd heard about it through this podcast. And um, if you remember that when we had Christina on with us, and um, so that's that's something that's important. You know, if if you guys feel compelled to, you know, help support our community, which through whichever one of these charities that come about. So. Um, keep the feedback coming. It's been great. We've, we've gotten some really good stuff. We'll be having uh, uh, an episode pretty soon that's going to talk about um, like just really riveting things like uh, legal entities and, and structures and intercompany leases and how not to get in trouble um, from an IRS, SEC, and FAA perspective in your private flight operation. And we're going to talk about it from a flight department perspective, not necessarily the... Um, not necessarily the um, uh, business perspective. So it'll be a little different twist than what you typically hear. Anyway, so enough about Take that. Andy, okay. Andy, what's happening? Not much. I was just trying to digest what you said. I think I might call in sick for that. <laughs> no, you're not. No. We'll <laughs> trick you. Like we'll tell you something else. Yeah, but take one for the team. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. I just had, I was just doing a demo and um, somebody tunes into all of our podcasts and she told her co-workers on the demo if you want a good chuckle and want to learn some stuff <laughs> you should download the jet blast podcast and listen to it so it's uh it's pretty cool to see that it's like word of mouth organic growth right there so yeah that's yeah. cool if you want to chuckle well yeah. that's good because yeah. it's you know that's like our point right you exactly drive for so take yourself too serious that. right yeah right so yeah that's about it what about you lee well, just still here. Um, I was telling uh, telling the guys here in Texas. It's last uh, week before last football game was 103 degrees at kickoff, mm -hmm. and then this past Friday kickoff was 74 degrees. So you know, I'm I'm, I'm okay. It's it's you know it's where we're going, but that's it's it's all good. Um, last week I got to go and actually see Rick at an airport. Ooh, really yeah, excited about airplanes. that. I got to go look at airplanes. I got all kinds of distracted, even just driving around it. It was crazy. But, you know, I didn't get to stay too long, but still, it was nice just to see some aviation people in an aviation setting. And so the fact that today we have Rick Oaks with Spirit Aeronautics out of Columbus, Ohio with us. And aviation is full of my favorite people, but Rick is definitely one of my favorite special people known Rick for a long time and worked with a, a variety of different projects. I do have to tell my favorite Rick story. Um, this is a PG one, Rick. Um, it's G actually. No, we were in a, a workshop. Um, we were facilitating a workshop and Rick was always real great about contributing and you know, we talked to people. And all these people are subject matter experts in avionics. I mean, these are high level, way too smart people. All of them, <laughs> all of them. But Rick has asking a question and the people just did not understand his question. I understood his question. I couldn't answer it, but I, but this guy turned around and sat there and gave Rick about a five minute lesson on how to use uh, a multimeter. 
Mm, nice. It was a multimeter. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and Rick was so patient. He didn't say anything. He, he just sat there and he just listened. And then he so graciously explained what he was really asking. But I just remember sitting there thinking, this guy's really explaining a multimeter to Rick. I don't know him very well yet, but I'm pretty sure he knows how to use a multimeter. There's not a lot I know, but I know that. But he was just so gracious and so kind. It's still So even all these years later, I just remember that. So that's my favorite little Rick stories with the multimeter. So, but no, Rick, really excited to have you on. There's a couple of topics that I was excited to talk to you about. And so it was great to see you in person last week and now to be able to chat a little bit this week. So welcome. And what have you been up to? And you know, we do it. You do have to give a quick hot rod update as well. Anybody who yes. follows Rick, he's got a pretty cool car. <laughs> wow. Okay, Lee. Thanks. Thanks <laughs> for the reminder of the story. Yeah, we, you know, we did, we've gone back a long ways in our professional careers. I would say it's at least 15 years that we've known one another. Mm -hmm. 2004? To the NCAT days. Yeah, mm -hmm. there you go. How about that? Yes, so yes, and thank you for all you've done to contribute to our industry. I think it's been wonderful to have you part of the big team. So absolutely, that's fun. Y'all are stuck with me. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> we'll so, yeah. So real quick, I've got an old Camaro. I've been restoring. It's a um, '69 Z28 with a Rally Sport hidden headlight option, um, and so it's up on rotisserie right now, and and uh, it should be. Uh, hopefully getting primer and then we'll get the bottom of it painted and then I've got a whole new um, all new technology suspension a new front subframe a new uh, four link independent rear suspension that I'm going to bolt into the thing and get it back down off the rotisserie it's been up on this thing for years now the car has been <laughs> apart for 20 years um, about as long as my business has been in business I've you know I had a Camaro and it was a great car but it needed restored and so uh, just took it apart one day because they come apart <laughs> real easy, <laughs> and I thought I'd have it back together again soon. But here we are. Did you find all the boxes of pieces, Rick? <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah, and they've traveled around a little bit too. So yeah, <laughs> I think I've inventoried everything, and I, people ask me how much longer it's going to be, and I right now it's about twenty thousand dollars away. <laughs> twenty thousand dollars away. Want to estimate on when it's going to be done? That's, there it is. <laughs> That's exactly a good way to put yeah. it. <laughs> Nothing but time, time and money. But it's, yeah. it's certainly it's been a great, great um, thing just to have a hobby for me. In addition to aviation, and all the wonderful people in our industry. So, sure. Yeah, at heart a car guy. At heart a car guy. That's a pretty yeah. cool car to put together. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I knew it wouldn't just be something simple. You, you, <laughs> it'll be. It'll. It'll be something fast, it'll be something loud, and it'll be something very technologically advanced. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's gonna, <laughs> it'll be interesting. I mean, even the engine, I've had the, the engine for this car since high school. Um, so I've had the engine a long time, and I went off to the Navy, and I kept that engine, and it was a correct engine for a 69 Z28. And so I, I happened to find this car 25 years ago, and I've been trying now for 25 years to put this engine in uh -huh. this car and get them both together. So they're, they're both getting closer. So getting I bet all the getting... wiring will be uh, E-Wiz, won't it? Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> really <Yeah>. airworthy. <laughs> yeah. Environmental splices, right? Man. Mm -hmm. And go-no-go uh, -no -go gauges, a whole nine yards is coming out. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I would. <laughs> ADSB compliant, too. There ADSB you know. compliant. <laughs> If oh not, my we gosh. Know a place to get it done. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Well, so one of the things that Rick is uh, very passionate about and I wanted to talk to him about is, you know, if you've been listening to podcasts, we had John Haig on a while back and he was talking about STCs and, you know, there's, there's so much going on right now in regards to STCs and Rick has also been very vocal. He's written some different, written a couple of letters, papers, however you want to say mm-hmm. it um, on the topic. Um, she shares them on his LinkedIn post. Um, he's uh going through different organizations. And so I wanted to get Rick's perspective on this problem that we're having with STCs and, you know, what, and how it impacts what he's doing. And so, so Rick, I'm just going to let that, that's, sure. that's your little intro. There you go. Yeah. Run with it, dude. Go with <laughs> you it. You got it. You got it. So, well, what I've been um, kind of campaigning, if you will, on here lately is, is a very unique topic about STCs and how it ties together with ADSB and the mandate uh, within ADSB that transponders and associated lost GPS sensors will be STC together in a pairing. Um, and it's a very unique path by the FAA to um, push something down an STC path that had never been type certified to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a very unique approach um, I think the FAA was doing it in the sense, of course, to ensure um, the interface between these two devices uh, will be 100% compliant and there'll be no bugs in the system. Uh, so then they can apply that STC to a various number of airplanes. And so as an example, um, you can take an ADSB pairing um, for one particular pairing that the STC was issued on, let's say, Lear 60. And mm-hmm. you want to use that same pairing of a GPS and a transponder on a Hawker 800 XP. And you can do that. Um, and so this is the way to make that happen is you'll uh, buy the rights to that STC uh, for one-time use. You'll apply that STC to your installation. And then everything else then will be approved separately, uh, more than likely. But primarily the STC centers on that pairing of the two Mm -hmm. devices that are installed in this other aircraft. And so um, the STC process works in that it validates the pairing um, at initial inception when the STC is approved. The challenge is, as as we all know with electronics and avionics, um, part numbers and software changes happen routinely. I mean, it doesn't just happen um, to address critical issues. It happens as a normal continuous process improvement for the manufacturer. So they're Mm -hmm. always continuously improving their product. And as a result, you'll always get firmware changes in the equipment. So really what that means is now is if you've got a a paired uh, STC um, ADSB solution in your aircraft, um, and then one device has to go out for maintenance, let's say your GPS sensor has to be sent out because it's got a fault, it has to go out for maintenance, Well, once you send it out to, which normally nowadays, your only option is mostly the original equipment manufacturer to send it right repair. So what happens is that device goes back to the manufacturer, they'll make the repair. Then as a matter of process and drill, they'll just update the software. And if there's any firmware, hardware changes that need to be made, then they'll likely incorporate those too, and then send it out the door with the latest and greatest. And so now what happens is, is you, now you've got a piece of equipment that no longer f- finds itself in the, in the realm of that STC for the proof pairing. 
because mm -hmm. that approved pairing was very specific in the part number and the software level um, of those devices when the STC was issued. And so now you've got a GPS sensor coming back from the OEM. The OEMs put great improvements in it. It's, it's a better product today than it was yesterday. Sure. Um, but now it doesn't comply with the software nor could be the hardware part number requirements for that pairing. So now you legally cannot install that device back in the aircraft and sign it off as an airworthy maintenance event because you no longer have approved data for that pairing. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a uh, ubiquitous type of issue, um, but I think it's really amplified itself in the fact that even today, I think you could look at the FAA's website for ADSB performance and, and drill down into see where we are now. And you will see that we are still suffering a 10% failure rate of ADSB equipped aircraft operating yep. in the system today. Now think about that. 10% of these aircraft are not compliant with the ADSB mandate, even though they're squawking, they've been approved for ADSB. Um, we have a real problem out there of 10% failure rate. We've got a systematic issue going on. Um, and it's, it's, to me, it's very interesting in the sense that the FAA really does not seem to want to address it in the sense that um, we don't know what the problems are. We don't know why these failures are happening. Um, and we don't know what to do to resolve it. And normally you would think the FAA, if they saw a systematic failure rate of 10% on anything, ADs would be flying out of Washington to get it addressed. Every day, all day long. All day long. And yet here we are with a mandated system that's critical for the airspace, airspace infrastructure to maintain proper separation of aircraft. And um, here we are struggling with the 10% failure rate and the FAA they really have not been proactive, I will say, in addressing it and getting it resolved. Um, yeah, so, I, it's funny, you know, I've asked that question. I've asked that question, Rick, a couple of times um, of operators, you know, as, as, as a matter of course, you know, going and, and, and putting in specific aircraft information related to a specific flight to see if the aircraft is in yes. fact squawking correctly, right? So if, yes. if a broker comes to me or a customer comes to me and says, hey, we're thinking about buying this Hawker, right? So I go through the process to make sure, just like getting FAA records now, it's another step I make to, to try and confirm whether or not it's good. And I've only found one um, in, in my travels that, that uh, wasn't um, squawking properly. And, and I asked the operator about it and they, of course they had no idea and they went away and fixed it. And I asked a friend at the FAA about it. He said, you know, we see them. We just don't have the bandwidth to, to deal with it. And and that's kind of shocking to me, right? That, that, oh, that yeah. that's the answer that we don't have the bandwidth to deal with it. Um, oh yeah. Think of the numbers staggering 10% right. of all the flights out there. You know? Well, and I think the other thing that's interesting too, that people don't really grasp, right? Is that's 10% of what has been installed so far there's right. still a bunch of airplanes that haven't gotten it installed yet right i mean i know of three um transport category airplanes that are on one of my airports local to me that haven't been modded yet perfectly good pieces of equipment yep. the owner just has not made the investment yet mm -hmm. not thrown four shops at him right saying hey these guys can do this for you right. and you can start chartering the airplanes again but he, he just 
not motivated to do it for whatever reason. I don't understand that. Hmm. Yeah, we're still mopping them up too. We're we're still busy with ADSB installs, believe it or not. Still got a few more coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's it's interesting that people, you know, were just convinced that it was going to go away, be deferred, whatever. And man, it's not. And and then if you've tried to use that tool, right, where your ads be is broke or, or mm -hmm. you don't have it installed. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's gotten a little bit better, but it's still, thankfully, and appropriately not designed to be easy to use. Right. Yes, so, right. so people yes, don't, we don't want it to be an automatic thing. Right. Mm -mm. No. No, I know. So, yeah, my hope is that, you know, we're going to get some traction with the FAA and they're going to start really looking at this. And and so here, here here's my belief. My Now I've found the problem. Here's my idea of the solution to the problem. So we've got a 10% fare rate out there. And I, I believe that a lot of these, it, well, it's evident that from the FAA data, that a lot of these failures are just simply due to misconfigurations of systems. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. that equipment has failed, it's just they're not set up properly That's and right. operated properly. They're just at installation, they were not configured. And so um, I believe that, you know, one of the, this is a cause of one of the symptoms of why this happens is essentially is that the installers um, are given an STC for a pairing and they're using that as part of the installation uh, and integration electrical engineering design for the aircraft and so then they get to kind of the final part of the install get everything turned on they start checking things out and it's time to set up configuration settings <clears throat> and they don't quite know what to put into this hawker and so now they look at the STC for Lear 60 and pull down mm -hmm. all the configuration settings for that Learjet because it was part of an STC approved data package. And now they apply those config settings now to this Learjet and dispatch the aircraft. And now it's squawking improperly because it's set up, you know, well, the Hawker's set up now like a Learjet. So, yeah. you know, I believe that's kind of a symptom of this problem. That's why we're seeing this issue is, we're, you know, that's a causal factor, I believe, is, is you've, you're putting bad information in front of installers that are checking out these systems and they're relying on configuration settings from an STC approved data package that they really shouldn't be doing, but That's it's right. easier, it's simpler and, you know, it's compelling because it is FAA approved data. And so I believe, you know, a lot of these misconfigs are simply because that, you know, installers are given the wrong information. And so there's one yeah. issue. Another issue with this STC is the, Aircraft is kind of locked in time and state as far as the software and the hardware go. Like I said, if if uh, two years later after the aircraft has been flying and you've got to pull a component and it gets sent in for repair, um, it comes back with a different software, a different part number, how on earth are you going to do, how is the maintainer going to put that back in the aircraft and sign it off legally Friday night at 630? It's not going to happen. She's and not. So I believe as a, a way to resolve this is the repair station should be granted the privilege to approve these pairings. Part of that process would be that, Nathan, we would put that PAPI report, PAPR report mm -hmm. that you're referring to for the ADSB performance, that we would make that report a part of our work order. And so we, could, we wouldn't close out the work order until we get the results of that report. And, you know, I will say, even when you do an STC for an ADSB installation, the STC will never get approved until they fly the aircraft and get a, a a PAPR report back with all green checkboxes. So any STC, no matter how much work they do, 
that's still the major threshold that they've got to pass through to ensure that that configuration, that installation is appropriate and proper and airworthy. And so if we could do that as a repair station, if we could do our installation, do our integration, do the validation, mm -hmm. ground testing, and then go out and do the flight test and get a good PAPI report back, I believe that we can get this 10% number knocked way back. We can give privileges to repair stations that really should have such type of privileges. And um, we can just simply make the world a better place. And um, so another piece of this, and I, it's still, I think, a, a major part of it all. I don't know how this happened, but if you'd ever done a um, biannual inspection on aircraft, 91411, 91413 altimeter transponder check, a normal part of the sign off is you refer to FAR 43 appendix E for the altimetry mm -hmm. system and appendix F for the transponder system. So FAR part 43 has the technical details for transponders listed in appendix F. Those technical details and specifications for transponders are what we use as a repair station to recertify transponders um, to get them back in airworthy status and make them compliant with 91413 requirements. Well, FAR 43 Appendix F, when it relates to transponders, those technical specs did not get changed with ADSB. So now hmm. we have ADSB transponders that are operating wholly different than they were under the old right. mm. technical specs. Um, the FAA never bothered to go and reopen FAR 43 Appendix F and say, call it G and revise it for ADSB compliant transponders. They so never do you think that, that was just something they missed or, or do you think that was I, something they haven't got to? I don't know. There <laughs> has to be a reason. It's way too obvious for them to just look past Appendix F and not realize that it needed to be addressed as part of, of as part of ADSB, you know? Because so, they changed transponder operations significantly and it needs to yeah. be reflected yeah. in the regulation because right now Appendix F is meaningless um, because you could test an airplane to Appendix F and it's still not ADSB compliant, meaning your transponders still aren't considered airworthy until they're all the way signed off for ADSB compliance. Yeah, so I, I think that's, yeah. I, well, I think it's pretty interesting, right? So you brought up a couple of things that I think are really relevant that if, if, if you know there's a DOM chief pilot or even a technician listening, right, that, that's trying to figure out, well, what does all this mean to me and how do I do it? Yeah. So I think there's, there's a couple of things, right? It's not just an ADSB STC issue, right? And I know Rick knows this, but I'll give you another perfect example. And this happens so often, right? So if you grab a large cabin ultra long range airplane that may start with the G, um, uh, some earlier iterations of it in the cabin interior STC that covers everything from coffee makers to chairs to tables to whatever, um, there's by part number a printer installed in a credenza that has a fax capability in it. It's an all in one unit and it's an inkjet printer. Right, and it's the same. I, I'm picking on Gulfstream, but I, I mean the other two large cabin OEMs do the same thing. So that device is in there. It's part of the interior STC. It's a brother 4340. I don't know. I'm making up model numbers. Well, guess what's no longer made by brother a 4340, right? Or an iPod with a 30-pin connector, or a microwave made by I don't know. Maybe it's a different iteration. 
but what you guys got to understand that, that if you don't know is that any change to an STC is in of itself a major alteration by definition. Thus, mm -hmm. you must have approved data to support that change and probably going to have to go back and get some sort of field approval or some sort of engineering data to support mm -hmm. somebody signing off another 337 because you just changed that original STC that was installed on the plane. And, and I think people miss that a lot. I mean, I, I see it often, you know, as a corporate operator, I saw it, it working in a shop, I saw it. And now as a consultant, I see it regularly where I'll find an airplane and they'll say, oh, well, we, uh, the printer died and we put a new one in. Well, yeah, that's a better printer. It's smaller. Um, it, it, it's available. It's more efficient. But, uh, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, there's no approved data to right. allow you down that path. So that's one thing. And I think the other thing that, that Rick, out of what you said that, that folks should um, think about on a commercial standpoint, right, is if you go and have ads be put on your airplane or you're representing an owner that's having it put on, you should absolutely insist that a flight's conducted, right, and that PAPI report is obtained, post it, before you pay your daggone bill. I mean, I, you know, you we wouldn't, we wouldn't, uh, wouldn't change out a landing gear without ops checking it, right? I mean, this is no different, right, Rick? I mean, uh, the best right. practice should be let's go ops check it, right? See if we got what we paid for. Right, right. And and ADSB, it, it can ground test fine, but mm -hmm. it's going to perform differently. And then as oh, well, yeah. um, if you don't have the airplane, you know, things like the ICAO address set up properly, then it's, you know, it's misconfigured. So everything could be working correctly, but it's squawking the wrong you know, number for the airplane. And uh, so that could be an issue as well. So that could be just the smallest thing. And you're right. And if, if you don't have all green checks in all the boxes, I mean, there's a hundred boxes on the PAPR report, um, all these different parameters that are tested through the ATC system. Yeah. If it's not a hundred percent, then the chances are you're going to get a letter of investigation. Uh, yep. The aircraft owner will receive a letter from the FAA and I'll give them 30 days to uh, get it resolved. And, um, well, and so. right now, and right now, Rick, you know, you're talking about something that you've, you know, this is, this is an issue. It's a very important issue with a huge, huge number. And, you know, the fact that it hasn't been addressed, when you look at that number, 10%, 10%, what is going to happen when there's an actual incident? That's when change will happen. And then, then it'll be, then it'll be some type of reactive change that a net, you know, it's, you know, right now you manpower or not, this is, I mean, you don't want another like Buffalo reaction to something, you know, just mm -hmm. be when they they have an opportunity to be proactive. And I know Rick, you've got, I know you've been working with some of the different associations and organizations in FAA. Are, is there any movement on this at all? Um, I mean, there's people who are interested, I know, but is it the right people? I've not got a good affirmation <laughs> that we are moving in the right direction yet. Yeah. I've gotten more pushback than I've gotten anything, but honestly, sure. it's very disconcerting because it's a real problem, and it's evident by the 10% failure rate. Yeah. You know, there's a problem out there. We need to find out what the actual problem is and fix it. You know, and the only thing I get from the FAA lately is, well, you know, it's better than the 30% that it was last year. 
<laughs> which is which is true, but not the answer, right? So, That's so I think not the right answer. I think Lee to answer your question from my perspective, and, and I don't know Andy or Lee if you or uh, Andy or Rick if y'all would agree, but in my experience, until it's an economic burden or it's a true actual, we've had an event from a safety perspective issue, we can't really get people to move. And so I guess that's my thing, right? If you're getting a quote for ad speed, because we know there's airplanes still not done, or it could be, you know, an advanced L5 that you want Rick to put on your airplane, whatever, whatever the shop is, you know, if, if y'all are listening to this, you need to make sure you build into your request for quote process that you're going to have a robust checkout. And that may include a flight, right? Nobody wants to think about, oh, I've got to go fly the plane. It's going to cost money. Who cares? Look at how much money it's going to cost you because you didn't take the time to make sure it was right. It's just part of doing business. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And then you have people, when I was at Toledo Jet, you know, we, uh, we'd be messing around with stuff that they did and then they'd leave and then they'd have to come back again and then they'd leave and then they think they sure. get, they'd go somewhere else and then they'd screw something up. Then they'd come back and I mean, it's just do it right the first time, you know? Well, right. And, and, and take the time to see it all the way through. Right. I mean, right. I think that's, that's a good it's point. Like, that you said. like Rick's car, right? I mean, there's yeah. no way in the world that it would make sense to prime that car and only paint the top half of it and drop the motor in and hope for the best. You've got you to be We're right. painting the whole thing. Halfway done. Right. <laughs> well, I just, and you know, it's for something that has been the topic of conversation for what, I mean, since they've even put a deadline on there that, you know, there's a deadline for this mandate. And I mean, I, you know, even the appendix issue there, Rick, some different things like that. You're just like, okay, this is, it's, it's an opportunity to, because I think we, Rick, I, you'll, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we were talking about the 10% failure rate. And I mean, this is 10% failure across the board. I mean, we're not talking about light GA. We're not talking about, I mean, we're all the way up into, you know, one large air carrier, 121 international. I mean, there's this, any loss of life is, is bad, any right. loss of life. But when you're looking at the potential for some of these larger, larger aircraft, which could have been avoided, <laughs> I guess that's my, for somebody with, you know, you have all these places, all these things, all these processes, rules, regulations to avoid and do this and that. But then there's something that seems, I mean, a 10% is just, I don't know. I just don't know. And it's just crazy. Just crazy when you think of the, of the, um, the potential. And that could have been addressed because there are people who cut corners and they, you know, they, well, nope, it doesn't say that I have to do that. It mm. doesn't say, oh, nope, nope, I don't have to do that. Well, you know, this is all it says and here for me to get, for me to, to be able to return it to service or whatever. And, you know, I mean, honestly, if you go to a repair station or you go to a shop that does that, okay, they're, they're right by the letter, but at the same time, you know, you're putting your trust in these different places and when you could probably probably need to take that extra step. And so it is educating, like you were saying, Nathan, making sure that you have that extra, you know, your extra report, take the flight, sure. do what you need to do. Cause it's, it just baffles me. Well, and I we think the other, the other thing that puts some of these guys and gals at, at risk that are charged with being the person responsible for the maintenance inspection of these airplanes is, is they don't take the time to look at the STC packages or mm -hmm. understand what they're looking at. Right. So, I mean, I think that going through these documents with the shop before you leave, 
understanding what's in there and understanding if it says, you know, software level F or, you know, right. software number, part number 1612, whatever it might be, that you really get that, right? And, mm -hmm. and make sure that it goes into your maintenance tracking accordingly, right? Make sure it's, it's prominent in the logbook entry. I mean, taking some steps besides in the moment of, oh gosh, you know, we're a day late or we're on time or whatever it is and we got a trip tomorrow, taking some time to finish it is I think really important, right? Dude, there was, uh, when this started going out at the airport where my grandpa keeps his plane, there was a guy going around with like, he would sell you the kit for ADSB that you could build yourself. And so lo and behold, <laughs> I walk in the hangar one day on like a Saturday, my grandpa's in there with these baggies that came in the kit and the soldering gun. And he's like, Trying to build, yeah, I'm like, dude, Ted Kaczynski, put down the soldering. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not paying all that money. So now when he flies in the Myers 200 that has the links in it, he's like, oh, man, this is cool. I can see the traffic. I'm like, yeah, you're 76 years old, dude. Like, it's really nice to have the traffic you can't see as good as you used to. And, like, all the fighting, that, and he's like a fraction of the GA people, right? They mm -hmm. – I'm going to put this light bulb yeah. in my wing. I mean, that's it. That, you know, it's like, yeah. right. you just right. fight it because it's something to fight almost. It's crazy. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Kaczynski, that yeah, was he's funny. He's just going to glide back down to earth. Remember? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if anything goes awry, that's, that's the strategy, right? <laughs> Dude, he, yeah, I told you he shut the transponder off not long ago, flying into our place up north in Michigan. And the military jet saw him go down in the woods and they up <laughs> at my grandma's house, the sheriff. Saying that her husband had crashed and he went down in a heavily wooded area. It's oh, like, no, yeah. he just shut the transponder off and landed back on our grass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd like to meet your grandfather someday there, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going to glide back down to earth when everything goes wrong. That's his plan. <laughs> that's his plan. Hey, at least he has a plan. Yeah, that's true. He has a plan. That'll work. It's only a one single item checklist in an emergency. Glide back down to earth. Okay. <laughs> Turn everything <laughs> off, glide back down to earth and get out. <laughs> oh my. Well, we don't have a whole lot of time. So I do want to, yeah, there's a couple of other things that, you know, Rick is, uh, Talking with Rick, you can talk about all kinds of nine million different topics and we won't even get into his, his Navy career and some of the cool stuff he did there. But so Rick, one of the things, and you mentioned, you know, how I met you was doing the NCAT stuff all those years ago. Gosh, it was so long ago. Yes. Um, but it was, but you have still been heavily, heavily involved. And part of the NCAT evolution was the AS is, you know, becoming part of ASTM and the certifications. And um, so when, just give us a little update on where it stands and, you know, kind of the FAA's part and where it stands with this. And, uh, you know, there's just some really cool stuff going on. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I chair uh, the ASTM committee F46, and we are the committee that we're providing uh, certification credentialing for aerospace personnel. So there's a multitude of ASTM committees in aviation. As an example, F44, um, they were the, essentially the ones that developed the ASTM standard that replaced Part 23 for how to build a, a normal category aircraft. So F44 sets all the ASTM's tech specs for aircraft. Um, F38 is UAV, um, I mean, air vehicles. And so these folks are establishing a lot of technical requirements for uh, the unmanned uh, air system that's coming 
um, and it's coming fast, let me tell you. And so, um, let's see the one, F-37 is light sport aircraft. Um, so F-37, they've developed all the tech specs for light sport aircraft. And so uh, we in F-46 are uh, the ones providing the personnel to um, design and maintain all the aircraft. And so when when we talk about aircraft, we're talking about not only normal aircraft with wings and jets and props on them, but we're also as well now talking about unmanned air vehicles. It's becoming a really big part of what we're working on here lately. Um, so it's been very exciting. We've had a lot of great industry input. Um, even from the UAV world, um, we've had a lot of folks come over from F-38 um, into F-46 because we've kind of taken, F-38 was working on technician standards for unmanned air vehicles. So we've kind of taken that over and brought it into F-46 because we're more the people, people and we're really focused on airworthiness standards and, and certifying people to design and maintain aircraft certified aircraft and so um, we've taken over all those all the work they've done and, and we're now applying it putting into our portfolio for certified personnel hmm. um, and so that one that's f4606 uh, the committee for unmanned air vehicles um, and so there's there's uh, was there nine different committees under f46 and so f4601 is where core competencies is. So F4601 is the committee where we develop, uh, we do ha now have a standard out for core competencies. And core competencies is analogous to the general knowledge requirements for the airframe and power plant certificate. So core competencies, just consider that as a general with all the new good stuff built in. So it's, um, you know, our industry working groups for folks that are, you know, essentially what we're doing is we're refreshing the standards that were set back in the 60s and the 70s for Part 65 and Part 147, AMPs and AMP schools. And so the work that we're doing under F4601, uh, there's there's a different a couple of different task groups, but essentially F4601, what we did was we developed the um, core competency standards. So it is now out as a standard. Um, so now we have academic knowledge and skill requirements that we've all agreed on, all these aviation industry personnel that meet the general requirements for the AMP um, with all the you know, new safety stuff, human factor stuff that needs to be input for these days. And so under F4601, we've also got a task group uh, for aerospace engineers. And the aerospace engineering standard is about ready to be published. So this is another, it's a real exciting one actually. So. We've had FAA personnel on our working groups and our committees working on these standards. We've got aerospace engineers from the FAA. We've also got NAPCA uh, union reps from the FAA aerospace engineering side. Um, so we've got some really good input from the regulator side. We've got great industry input. We've got great uh, input from uh, uh, schools um, like KSU that develop DER type programs. And so essentially what we've done now is we've established academic knowledge requirements for DERs. Um, That's cool. It's awesome. And I will say that the FAA struggles mightily with finding new DERs because it's one thing to know the technology. You know, you could be an expert in the latest and greatest whiz-bang technology, but you still need to know the regulatory requirements to interface that technology into a certified aircraft. 
And so what we've done here is we've developed the academic knowledge requirements for the certification, the airworthiness, the FAA stuff to make up a DER. So we can use that now, combine that with say an engineering degree or you know, a wide experience and background in some type of unique technology for aviation and put those two together for an applicant. Now he's got a very clear path on where he needs to go to become a DER. And so um, we think this is going to be a, a really fantastic standard. Um, we're not going to be certifying engineers to become DERs. What this standard is going to do is it'll set academic knowledge requirements to, for colleges to gain accreditation for either a four-year baccalaureate program or a master's program for airworthiness certification professional. Um, so yeah, with this one, I think I think as well as I believe that if we get all the DERs operating off the same sheet of music, essentially, FAA, aerospace engineers, all speaking the same language, using the same terminology, using the right scaling, um, I think that we can have some pretty good standardization effects in aerospace engineering. Because as we all know, it's very difficult to um, work with different FAA aircraft certification offices um, because some offices are great in one area, but not so good in another. And so what you have is sometimes people that will essentially shop aircraft certification offices yeah. before they apply for an STC data package because they want the path of least resistance. And, and you know, that, that kind of shows that there's, you know, a very unequal process even, without, even within all the aircraft certification offices within the FAA. So we believe that getting everybody the same academic standards is going to help with um, common processes within uh, airworthiness regulations. And so, you know, we think the bigger picture is it will help um, make aircraft airworthiness certification uh, determinations more uh, precise, more standard, and more effective. And everybody's, again, going to be operating off the same sheet of music, if you will, in understanding how to certify aircraft, both new aircraft and aircraft that we apply for modifications under an STC. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, we have agreed now to stand up a new task group within F4601 for, check this out, aircraft detailers. Aircraft detailers. Right. There you go. Oh, See you, Nathan. oh, oh, Nathan's perking up there. That's aircraft good. We need that, man. Thank you. We do need that. You, you, really don't, need you that. just use Windex and everything's better, right? Negative. <laughs> well, and especially now, uh, you know, with the whole, um, you know, COVID crisis and everything going on with cleanliness, um, you know, there's, there's a much greater appreciation, much more attention being paid now, the cleanliness of the aircraft. But even beyond that, um, cleaning aircraft, detailing aircraft, buffing on aircraft, it is its own unique skill, and there are very critical knowledge requirements that aircraft detailers need to know before they're cut loose on a multi-million dollar machine. That's right. Shiny and bright. That's and, right. And so we now have a couple folks um, <clears throat> that are going to be uh, leading this committee. They've got their own aircraft detailing companies. Um, these Good. guys are nationwide. Um, Anthony Penns. Um, from Foxtrot Aviation. He's got sites all across the U.S. now. Young kid, he's probably 25 years old, just out of college, and he was uh, detailing aircraft as a, uh, as a college job. Got out of school, graduated OSU, and opened up his own aircraft detailing business, 
and now he's in like 10 different cities throughout the U.S. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, the guy's over the top, super motivated, wonderful people person. So he's going to get involved in helping write these standards. And then we've also got Grant Huntley. Uh, Grant's yeah. uh, all with Hick with yeah. Grant's awesome. So both those guys are going to be involved in helping to write the new standards for aircraft detailers. So I think that's really exciting too. Cause it's so there's a, so something you should know, a little footnote um, that, that might help with that, that y'all could maybe, they could maybe dovetail into. So our TCA um, in Washington, DC just stood up a um, full fledged committee that has the accelerator on the floor around um, effective disinfection processes and materials for airplanes. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, our friends at CDC and everywhere else said, hey, go out and wipe everything down with Clorox wipes. And it just <laughs> destroyed your interior. Oh. Right. I've seen some pictures here lately. Have well, you guys seen those? If you're a charter operator, I'm telling you, that's what people are going in your airplanes and doing. They're wiping down your leather seats and your wood tables. And, you know, I'm telling in some cases, you got to talk to these fire blocking people which is really just a salt-based thing at the end of the day. But anything with alcohol or bleach in it is breaking down that ability to re ability to retard flame. So anyway, I don't want to get into a disinfection thing, but you should, uh, there might be a way to, Rick, for ASTM and RTCA to kind of hook up there That's, for a second. Yes, but thank you. There's yeah, a, yeah. They've met six times in the last two weeks, just to give you an idea. And, really? and it's a, uh, I'm talking like United Airlines, American, um, yes. one of my um, outside of aviation business partners in the disinfection world has been meeting with them. Um, yeah, there's there's a there's a big coalition going forward. Honeywell, Bombardier, Boeing, Airbus. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think Gulfstream or Textron are in that group. I can't remember. I've got the list somewhere, Rick, and it's it's. It's, I was like, wow, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah, please send that to me, man. I'd love to get us all together and um, set a standard for aircraft detailers. Yeah. It's well, really this is a great, I mean, it's a great, this, the ASTM, if, um, you know, definitely if you want more information on um, F-46 and some of these groups, Rick is definitely the person to call there. He's been working on it since, um, well, since its very beginning, but then definitely since it's been part of ASTM. But it's, this is almost like the anti-ADSB STC discussion that we were having just a minute ago, <laughs> because here we have industry being um, proactive, looking at what they can do to address an issue, you know, where, you know, instead of just kind of ignoring it and hoping it goes away because it's not 30%, um, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is where the industry's come together and said, you know, 147 is not meeting our needs. You yeah. know, there's some different things. Um, this isn't working. So what are we going to do? And so we're going to set industry standards. We're going to find alternate means of compliance for these yeah. people, which like they did with the AET certifications. Yes. Rick was, Rick was the yes. first one. He's a, uh, I mean, he had the first uh, alternate means of compliance for one of his repairmen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, we got a kid right out of school. Um, he graduated from an avionics program up in Nova Scotia. And uh, he came to us with uh, a degree and his AET with uh, multiple endorsements. And so the FAA policy letter came out shortly after he came on board. And so um, we applied using this new FAA policy um, and we got him his repairman certificate um, under the repair station. And so now he's got return to service privileges and we've got him certified 
um, under 145 using the Aircraft Electronics Technician Certificate as an alternate means of compliance for the 18-month experience requirement under FAR 145. Oh, so, wow, that's awesome. the kid. He's not going out there and just doing <laughs> on big jets and signing it off. Yeah. You know, he's still under our control. He's, you know, we're mm -hmm. managing his privileges, but, you know, it's a great career move for him. He's so excited to get a repairman certificate and he's going to add to it. You know, he's just, it's just a great thing for him professionally to get that professional recognition from the FAA um, that allows him to do his job and grow in his employment and his career. From the so, FAA, from the industry, from, you know, yeah, and he's, yeah. and he's actually got, he can say he was the first one too. That's pretty cool. So, you know, they look at, you're looking at that, but it's, it's nice to kind of, you know, kind of wrapping up what we're talking about today, where you're seeing the FAA and industry working together to address some of these issues, you know, whether it's um, the, the career path, the educational path, alternate means of compliance, you know, looking outside the box, you know, not only from, uh, from the personnel side, but you know, if you really start getting into it, that uh, what um, it's a F thirty seven that you're talking about with the Part twenty three aircraft. I mean, you're they're setting some precedents that now that can really change aviation in the future. It may not be impacting some of these at this moment. Um, you know, there's definitely some hurdles still going on, but being able to look and see where the future is and how the FAA is is slowly adapting. Um, and looking at some of this from a different perspective, the F-46 group and, well, ASTM as a whole, but especially the F-46 group, if you wanted to get involved and really make a difference and share your expertise, that's something that is, that is um, I would highly recommend it. And you can definitely get in touch with Rick and he can give you more information. Yes. Yeah. Well, and we'll, more subject matter experts all the time. It's kind of my biggest job is chairing the committee is finding people to participate. Yeah, yeah, and, we'll, and like you said, we'll we'll put uh, Rick's um, um, link for both Spirit Aeronautics, and of course his uh, his LinkedIn profile will be in the show notes. So y'all y'all can certainly find him that way, or you can reach out to us. So you know the 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 other thing, aside from you know, since you have so much time left, Rick, so we talked about <laughs> we talked about you know what you guys got going at Spirit and some of the challenges you're currently facing with this STC, ICA stuff, and, and, and you know, ads be still being kind of wonky. And then we've got a Camaro, which is priority one, which I love yes. that we started there. And, and, and then we talked about your work at ASTM. So it, I, I happen to know that you're pretty busy in this youth aviation adventure event that um, is in your area, um, since you have so much spare time. But, but I think if you're like me, working with these kids, right, trying to introduce aviation is, is probably one of the most rewarding parts of what we do, right? So, so tell us a little bit about that. It is, man. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Nathan. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. It's actually, the program's called Youth Aviation Adventure. It's been around over 20 years now, and it's essentially started um, from my partner in my business, Steve Wathen, him and his friend had uh, two boys that were in scouts and both these guys were pilots and of course they wanted their scouts to have their aviation merit badge and so they went down the path to trying to earn the badge and they saw that it was a pretty difficult process there's nine different elements that the scouts need to meet to earn the badge and they're very disparate things and so it's very difficult for the scouts to earn a badge because right. they've got to do different things like go to control towers got to go talk to pilots talk about careers you know talk about 
aerodynamics. And so uh, what these two gentlemen did essentially is put together a program, a one-day event for their uh, scout troop, and, and they all went through the program, and then they won their, they got their aviation merit badge. And so they, you know, saw that this was kind of a good thing, and so they kind of developed this program and started uh, training other scouts in the area. And it just really took off. I mean, you just put the word out to the local scouting community now, and kids show up in the droves. I mean, we we had to cap this program at 250 kids because one oh spring we had 400 kids show up. 400 kids show up? 400 kids That's show up. That's amazing. It's incredible. Um, but there's just a lot of enthusiasm. So essentially what the program is, it's very educational. And um, essentially the program starts off in the morning and we group the kids up and kind of like a shotgun start for a golf outing. <laughs> we group the kids up and then they all get sent to a different station. And then after 20 minutes at each station, then, then they all rotate to the next station and then rotate, rotate. And then through the course of the day, now they've rotated through all nine stations. And so at each station, they spend about 20 minutes <clears throat> with the station leader and that person will talk about the theme of that station. So at each station, the themes are like aerodynamics, uh, one's avionics and instruments, one's uh, aviation careers. And so at, at the aviation careers, as an example, they'll, they'll talk about all the great careers in aviation. And we know that there's way more great careers in our industry than being a pilot. Right. Yeah. And so this is a great opportunity for kids to learn about all the great career paths in aviation. Um, even from, you know, running a fire truck to being a controller, being a dispatcher, you know, being a yep. maintainer, being an aerospace engineer, um, so many great career paths, flight attendants. And so, you know, these kids get exposed to this. And so uh, as well, they go through the program and they learn about different things. They actually do a, an aircraft pre-flight inspection on a real airplane. So, you know, the discussion leader will lead the kids around the aircraft and they go through the, um, take, you know, go through a checklist for the aircraft and, and do a good pre-flight on it on a real airplane. That's so cool. Airplane. And so, I mean, you come in in the morning at, at 7.30, 8 a.m., and these kids are just wide-eyed and bushy <laughs> full of questions, and it's just so exhilarating to be around it. And so the program has really grown over the years now, and so it's actually now been held in over 25 different cities. We've made it uh, in a sense that it's very portable. Um, we can send out an entire box, if you will, and that box can go to a local um, airport and then uh, we work with folks to get the volunteers set up and then the volunteers put the word out and kids show up and um, it's been a great program. I mean, we've held it everywhere from Juneau to um, Oshkosh, it goes on, um, it goes on Claremont County with Sporties, um, and just all throughout the US. Um, it's been a very effective program. When we like to hold this program actually in conjunction with the Young Eagles program, so yeah. if you recall, the Young Eagles program is a program that you know, EAA puts on and gets kids out for essentially a joyride in a small yeah. aircraft. And so we like to put our kids through this program in the morning and then let them go fly with the Young Eagles in the afternoon because now when they go on that flight, now they're asking smart questions about the right. airplane. Right. You know, mm -hmm. Point to an altimeter and tell you what it's reading and know what an airspeed indicator is. You know, that is know. so cool. Yeah, and so... Whoop, we lost Rick. Yeah, that's all, right. so the yeah, that's all good. It's a very educational program in that, you know, the kids come out of it um, 
you know, with a real understanding of aviation, both the technology and the potential to come in and find a great career for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, it's funny. I've had the opportunity to do the aviation merit badge um, training here in Louisville um, two or three times. And, and it is, um, I have a, you know, my own version that's distilled down to about a day. It is a day. And then there's homework, right? That the guys and gals have to go do and demonstrate competency and certain things. But it, it is interesting. You know, every time I posted it, I have as many parents show up as I do scouts because they're also interested, right? And and in my previous life, the airplane they got the pre-flight was a G550, right? I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a J3 Cub or something, right? right. I mean, we had them uh, we had them doing a, a big airplane and 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 getting to go up in a very busy um, control tower with UPS airplanes moving around and all kinds of fun Man. stuff, right? So so the exposure was a little different, but um, you know, I the one thing that I've always walked away with out of that is encouraging these kids to go to the, and the parents take them to a young Eagles event. Mm -hmm. And man, I will tell you probably half of them go and they just absolutely rave about it. Right. Mm -hmm. About how much fun they had. Um, they actually got to go fly a plane, right? That's what they all come back and talk about. So it is cool. So good on you for doing that. We'll put a link for that um, oh, absolutely. adventure in the comments. And you know, yeah. if you're interested in bringing it to your town, um, or, you know, learning how you can support that organization, just reach out to, to Rick or any of us and we can help link you up, right? And Rick, and your local one's over at the Ohio State University, correct? That's, that's his local one. Yes, we, we actually hold it twice a year here. Um, and, and like I said, we had a camp of 250 kids. So, yeah, we'll cycle about 500 kids through the program every year here just in Columbus. Like I said, it's, it's held in a lot of different cities. It's very easy for us to stand up a new squadron in another city. We've got everything that it takes. Uh, many times we'll come out and participate and help walk everybody through it. And uh, it's just a great program. And, it, and I think, you know, it's really a good way for kids, like, like I said, to not only experience the technology, because I mean, what there's really, to me, nothing more STEM than airplane, right? Mm -hmm. That's very yeah, true. That's right, that's right. So, you know, for a STEM, and this, that's what this is, this is a STEM program. And it's getting kids interested in our great industry and, and all the wonderful technologies in it. So, yeah, I'd really encourage anybody to come out, you know, and, and uh, you know, help us help other kids learn about our great industry so we can fill the funnel for our next generation. Right. right. And, you I know, think that's great. And so we can close with this, right? So, um, uh, I, you know, we, we hear about, and this is so important for our workforce development, right? Mm. We, we, we hear that you know, unfortunately, our friends at the airlines are having to let furlough some people and let some people go. And, and, and even in business aviation, you know, all the OEMs have had to furlough quite a few technicians um, and managers at varying levels. And, you know, I, I would say to you guys, if, if you're listening, you know, understand that, um, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but in my circle of people, um, those folks are leaving aviation. Um, so it's an unfortunate thing, you know, they, they've, they've either been through the events in 2001, they've been through the events in, in, in 2008, you know, yeah. now they're looking down the pike of what's been happening during this whole pandemic. 
And some people honestly have just decided to shift careers altogether. So developing this next generation is more important than, than ever in my mind. Some would tell you that we just, you know, we, we, we've crested the hill because of all this. We don't have a workforce shortage. And I'll tell you the bubble just moved so much further down the hose because Mm -hmm. as we start to open back up and start flying again, um, you know, we're going to see some issues. We're already seeing it in the business aviation space. I'll tell you, there's certain OEM shops that you can't get into right now because they just, I don't know if it's about physical capacity because I haven't been looking in their hangar exactly, but all of a sudden they can't take you. Uh, yeah. And they furloughed several people in the last several months and they've had to, right? Um, anyway, so that's my workforce spiel. There's your workforce <laughs> spiel. Yeah, we're not done with it. Uh, well, regardless of what you said. And that was one of the reasons <laughs> I wanted to make sure, um, bless you, make sure and recognize, you know, what Rick's doing, um, how he's, because it has been so successful. Like you said, it's been going on a little bit over 20 years. So I've been able to watch it over the past, my my association with Rick and with Spirit. And it's been amazing to watch it grow and just you know, the, num- the number of people. I know it was only three. Yeah, it was right around three years old. That's right. <laughs> but no, um, so no one day, if anybody ever finds Rick, you can buy him a drink and a cigar. And he has lots of really, really great stories to tell. And if you know, might even get some of those stories from of his Navy time when he got to avionics technician there. And I think there's something about a boat like going up the Mississippi River or something. He got to do. Uh, he, he's done some crazy stuff. You never know what he's going. I'm sorry, a ship, not a boat. My bad. Yeah. Um, so he's got some cool stuff. But Rick, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and joining yeah. us. And we'll probably have another subject to talk about later. But. Yeah. For sure. We would love to have you back at some point, Rick. And, and I think, you know, um, for everybody listening, if you, if, and we'll put this link in the show notes too, but if you go to youthaviationadventure.org, um, you can learn more about what Rick was just talking about. Um, we encourage y'all to support that, just like we encourage you to keep downloading the MRO Insider app. So Andy's got to plant more trees, right? Yeah, more trees, um, the better. Uh, What's our tree count, Andy? I think we're at this morning, well, from Sunday, I think we're at like 258. And 258? I was also yeah. going to say Foxtrot is uh, on our app now for detailing. So nice. Oh, nice. Any Good of deal. the locations where they're at, it will push notify them. So Good nice. Deal. Helping Good out deal. the younger people. Awesome. Good for you. And, awesome. You know, and I'm still going to plug the uh, Aviation Career Enrichment Center in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I, you know, does such good work, very similar to this a, uh, youth aviation adventure, introducing young people to the opportunities in aviation. So, um, you know, if y'all have got five bucks and a little bit of time, I, I would encourage you to visit those websites and, and check out what's going on. You know, with Andy's, all you got to do is download an app. I guess you can delete it later. Just don't tell him. But anyway, that means he or has delete to go it again. plant a tree. Or, re- install it again. It's another tree. Every time you uninstall and reinstall. He's go plant a tree. So anyway, um, but I do encourage you guys to reach out and, and, and check out some of the charities and the previous show notes. Um, there, we're going to do some more with that as, as time evolves on, on how we can and support some of these organizations. We got some ideas. Lee's got some big, big ideas. ideas. I mean, big ideas. sometimes the text threads, I can't even keep up. But uh, so look, we've got a LinkedIn page. Thanks to Lee as well for the show. So it's, um, it's uh, just jet hyphen blast podcast. So, um, y'all can leave us feedback there, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash jet hyphen blast 
and press leave a message and you can leave us a voicemail or you can send us an email like several of you did last week, um, which is great. And, and it's, it's interesting that we sort of have this organic thing. I think Andy was talking about it earlier. You know, we've got people that are reaching out to us saying, man, I listened to your podcast. I thought it was great. And I told everybody on my team to listen to it. So that's pretty cool. I've, I've heard that a couple of times recently. So. Yeah, Thank we definitely appreciate people uh, taking the time out of their data to give us the feedback for too. For sure, for mm -hmm. sure. So until next time, Rick, thank you for joining thank us. You, and Rick. I cannot thank wait you, Rick. until really we're doing donuts on the ramp in front of your house oh, in that coming There you out. go. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs>